just an ordinary girl. I'm your host. My husband calls me Bay. My kiddos call me Mama, but you can call me Stevie. I'm just an ordinary girl helping listeners find the extraordinary life through the extraordinary God. Welcome back to Just an Ordinary Girl podcast. I'm so glad that you chose to come back after I decided to take a week off. Easter just wears a pastor's family out, and I just couldn't manage. But I appreciate you returning and tuning in for one more week. My husband and I have been living with really dingy but functional kitchen appliances for about nine years. The refrigerator's handle was wobbly to the point of almost falling off, and it's no longer like white like it used to be. The oven, it had melted plastic on it. The burner grates were rusting. We needed something new. But hey, it did cook things. It baked things. It kept things cold. So we just continued to live with it. And then one day we decided that it was just about time that we buy new appliances. So we set a pretty modest budget, found some deals. I did go over a little bit, but you know, happens, right? Well, I picked out stainless steel. Of course, not the entire thing stainless steel, because like I said, I'm on a budget here. But the main parts of the appliance, the front faces, they're stainless steel and they're beautiful. Well, then I looked at our cabinets and our backsplash and our wall color, and my makeshift bookshelves for the kids' school stuff and for my coffee stuff. And I realized very quickly that if I got nice appliances, I really needed to update the rest of the room. And I couldn't spend much to do so. So that usually means, you guessed it, a lot of do-it-yourself and a lot of settling for appropriate budget over the perfect ideas that I have in my head. Can I be transparent for a moment? You know, I homeschool. So we have all the supplies that a classroom has for four different grades. But I also have this huge desire to not decorate my house like I live in a school. Oh, the struggle is real. And after 11 years of doing this, I have tried everything but making kids store their stuff in their rooms, knowing that's not going to happen. So we picked a wall color. Actually, we picked two wall colors. We have a beadboard bottom and the wall on the top. And I bought some peel and stick backsplash. This was the scariest part, but it actually turned out pretty good. And some new wall hangings, which included some plastic plates that look like regular plates because, you know, I'm a budget. And I put them up with 3M Velcro. You guys, this is the best stuff ever. And I was still stuck with where I was going to put our school stuff. I wanted a coffee bar, like really bad. And then it hit me. I have a friend that is so talented in woodworking She loves books, and she's a homeschooler, so like normal homeschoolers, she has tons of those books. And either she likes to decorate with them, or she has to decorate them due to necessity. So she has built herself some amazing space saver pieces. So I designed what I wanted, and I asked my friend for help. She set out to make this huge custom piece, and although she could charge for her time and awesomeness, I only had to pay for the supplies. Score, right? So bear with me, I'm getting to my point here, but in order to get there, I have a few key points of today's podcast that I really think need to be made to set it up. I was set up to not have a perfect kitchen. One, I wanted to change without spending too much, so I had to do most of it myself. We all know that means it's not going to be perfect. 
That meant I couldn't get rid of the cabinets that I hate. I couldn't change out the countertops. Even if I wanted to do it myself, it was going to cost over $200. So I had to let go of the perfect idea I had in my head. That led me to my backsplash. I needed something that was going to be affordable and doable for me. I'm terrified of tiling myself. Grout, it it really is scary to me. Plus, I have this fake backsplash that's already in place. And in order to to put up tiling, I would have to remove that. And I am telling you what, I have seen enough HGTV that tells me that when you open up things in the walls, oh, you could be in a heap of issues. And I did not want to deal with that. So I deep cleaned it and place peel and stick subway tile. I researched, I read review after review, and decided to go for it. Yes, it's the cheap way to do things, but it's also the budget-savvy way, and circumstances called for it. Perfect wasn't going to happen, and I needed to be ready to face that. Now I'm coming back to that sentence, the sentence that says perfect wasn't going to happen, and I needed to be ready to face that. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. I have upper cabinets, with about 15 inches between them and the counter. It's such a small area. How could it go wrong? Well, I'm going to tell you how. Slanted counters. So, do I match the slanted counters so that it looks right to the eye, or do I work really hard to make every piece level? I went with the counter, which was great on the first countertop. The first side was fairly easy until I came to the window with the trim of the window. Corners everywhere. I did the whole measure twice, cut once thing. Cutting pieces to fit around a window drove me nuts. Measure, measure, cut, cut wrong. I had to piece together things and this was just not working well with my perfectionist mind. And maybe I'm not a perfectionist as much as my mind is more creative than my hands can deliver. Then I get to the next wall to find that the cabinets are so slanted. I had to overlap the sheets of tile to cover it all. Man alive, I can point out so many flaws that's not even funny. But when my husband got home, he didn't see any of them. Well, not at least until I pointed them out. (laughs) I stood in my kitchen. I chose, I'm just going to be happy with the work. Knowing it wasn't perfect, it looks awesome. And there's where the ordinary moment turned extraordinary for my extraordinary God. He gave me a lesson for my heart that I'm praying will speak to others as well. Jesus is the perfect one. We never will be. No matter how much time we put into ourselves in front of a mirror or in self-help books or even puffing ourselves up, we will never be perfect. And guess what? That's okay. God desires for us to strive for it, to do our very best, but to be okay with working out our flaws over time. Because, and I said I would come back to this phrase, perfect isn't going to happen. And we have to be ready to face that. I set out to do the best that I could with what I had. I couldn't afford to hire someone to do the perfect subway tiling. And you know what? I couldn't even afford to do the subway tiling myself. So to sit down and cry or to give up, beat myself up over it, would just be futile. If we choose to give up or not try because we aren't perfect, we're going to waste our life away. And that's never God's plan for us. He knows we won't be perfect and he loves us anyway. He draws us close to him anyway. He forgives our mess-ups and teaches us to do better. Now, if I had to do my tiling all over again, I know what I would do differently. But for now, it's as good as it is. And I've accepted it. The other lesson to go with this is this. 
If you choose to come into my kitchen remodel and whip out your magnifying glass and go around looking for mistakes, or even take it a step further further and point out all my mistakes, yeah, that says more about you than me. People who choose to be critical and judgy McJudgers, let them be. Let God deal with them and choose not to carry their expectations on your shoulders. You do the best you can. Make your best as close to God's best as you can get it. And let the others just deal with it. When we chose the colors and details of our home, we didn't ask our community's input on our house. We chose the colors that we liked since we chose to live in this house. We're the ones who wake up to it each day. So those living here are the only opinions that were needed. The same with your life. You need to set, have a goal to please God. Make your decisions based on him. The one who lives there. The one who lives inside of you. You answer to him only, not to all of those on the outside. How incredibly rude it would be if someone came into any house and began picking apart a design idea. We all know that's not how you behave, and yet there are times people feel it's important to pick apart how you live your life, and they do it so rudely. Don't let their wrong weigh you down. So many times we're more concerned with pleasing the masses over pleasing God. We worry that others will look down on us or point out our flaws. We hold back doing what we feel God is asking us to do because we aren't sure how the world around us will react. Instead of recognizing that their reaction isn't right, we bend, sometimes we even break, under their bad expectations of our lives. We can't serve two masters. We have to choose to serve God and let God deal with those magnifying, toting naysayers. Now, We all know that choosing to put shag carpet in a brand new 2021 house is a really bad idea. Regardless of what color you choose, most of us would say that that thick, shaggy, long carpet is the wrong path to take. Why did they ever do that in the 70s? (laughs) But do you get to tell your friend who built the house that she can't put that in her home if she wants? Now, you may be shaking your head one way or the other. The answer is actually, it depends. If you have a relationship with that person, you may be able to talk them out of that bad choice. Or, if you know the person has an allergy and you know that shag carpet and allergies don't meld, you may be able to step in and speak up or say you run into someone who's contemplating shag carpet and a new puppy. You may see the potential horrors of a not-yet-trained pup and long, thick carpet. And because you love your friend or even your neighbor or even the person down the street, you're going to politely tell them that combo is horrendous and a disaster waiting to happen. Of course, you're going to use loving words. You'll convince them because you love them and don't want them to have nasty smelling carpet forever. But you can't do even that if you don't know them or if they don't know your heart and intentions behind it. I'm addicted to sites like The Love of Old Houses or Zillow Gone Wild, where there are outrageous homes up for sale. I enjoy looking at how people choose to decorate or seeing what I may do in the space. But have you ever read the comments? doesn't matter how great the room is. The comments will be horrible, negative, sometimes even downright mean. What in the world made these people think that they get to interject negativity on a complete stranger's choices of housing? If we don't have a relationship with someone, we have no right telling them that they're living their lives wrong, even if they're making wrong choices. There's one exception to this, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. But while we're on this topic, there are times we can see someone make decisions that are bad for them. 
We long to tell them to go in a different direction, but we go about it in all the wrong way. We give dirty looks. We make our tone as if we're totally disgusted. We act unconcerned. Some people even choose to call names, label, dismiss people altogether, all because their preferences are different than another person's. This goes for style, for clothing, for home decor, to fashion, makeup, to what people watch on television, to how they talk, who they vote for, what they think about wearing masks during a pandemic. Am I stepping on toes yet? Some things may be better left unsaid. We don't have to comment negatively on everything someone does that we disagree with. But here's the flip side. If I had a friend or even if I was walking by a stranger's home and I saw them building a home where they chose not to do any safety measures, they were leaving the electrical wires exposed and they bring their kids into this so-called design plan, I might feel compelled to step in without being asked just to mention how completely unsafe the choice is. Because it's not a preference thing now. No matter how much they love the design of open electrical wires... It's now a life and death thing, and someone may need to speak up to save the children from danger. But I need to do that lovingly, caringly, and with the person's best interest at heart. 1 John 5 speaks about sins that don't lead to death. Those are the ones you pray about. Those would be the sin of shag carpet. We all know it's wrong, but it's not a life or death situation. You can bring those up to a very close friends or friends who even ask for advice, You maybe know the Bible speaks against a certain sin that a person's dabbling in, but it may be that God's working in the other person, and you can just take this to prayer instead of speaking out against it. Now, I dare not list these so-called sins and what they may be, because our list maybe wouldn't be the same. Of course, there are absolutes in the Bible, ways to live that God asks of every person. We know that some follow and some do not, but perhaps there's things God asks of one person that doesn't ask for another. For instance, God has asked me to not drink alcohol, but I don't find that stipulation in the Bible for everyone. Of course, we didn't get drunk. We shouldn't get drunk on wine. That's in the Bible. But a glass of wine for one may be fine, while a person like me who has alcoholism running rampant through my family line, it's not okay. And because God specifically asked me not to, drinking even one drink is a sin for me. If he didn't ask you to take that on, it's not for you. So I won't list the sins that don't lead to death because I'm not sure I would do it justice. But if the Bible speaks of sins that don't lead to death, there must be sins that do lead to death. And for those, it's important for us to lovingly guide a person back to life-saving decisions. Now, if you were reading this podcast instead of listening, you would see the word lovingly in bold, underlined many times, maybe lights shining around it, Maybe it's even bigger font than any other word because it is very, very important here. Second Timothy 4.2 says, Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So there are times when we need to correct. There are times that we need to rebuke, but with great patience, wait for the right timing. And with careful instruction, do it lovingly. This does not involve a magnifying glass. This involves a prayed-up spirit that exudes in love. If that's not how you plan to approach it, don't approach it. Now, this is why I love reviews, and I mull over them forever before purchasing something big. 
I want to know someone's experiences. I want to know that the pull and steel tiles that I'm going to pick don't stay on the wall, so I won't put up the effort in putting them up only for them to fall off. I want to hear about a refrigerator that runs too cold for my milk. So when we live through horrible things, we may be called upon to tell others and warn them. We can show how we too were and are not perfect. But this is done in a loving and caring manner. Remember when you were in that situation. Remember when you didn't do everything right. How would you want someone to speak to you? Not with a magnifying glass seeking out someone's flaws in order to put them down. There is never a situation for that. If someone came into my home, began critiquing it, and it wasn't a safety issue, we would all agree it would just be rude, rude, rude. Now let me go back and tell you about my bookshelves. I gave a rough design to my friend. She cut out all the boards with way more precision than I could ever do. She measured out the pocket holes just so. She has a great eye for detail, one that I don't have. I stained the pieces, added the polyurethane, and then she came in and measured just so and put everything together. We designed a 48-inch shelving unit for my coffee pot, coffee, coffee mugs, and our soda addiction, and a corresponding piece about 24 inches wide and 7 feet tall. She zipped through the shorter piece and put it together perfectly. Then she started working on the taller portion. So we designed this taller book uh, bookshelf to match the shorter one so that the shelves matched so perfect that it almost gave the feel that they were one solid piece. My friend, remember, she's great with measuring and paying attention to the details, she measures the second shelf by going back to the first one. And we suddenly realize that one side is off by almost an inch. But the shelves don't look off. They looked perfect. So I pull out a level, place it on top of each shelf, and lo and behold, it was level. Now the sides were off. There's no doubt about it. My floor, however, is so very, very imperfect. Somehow her off measurements complemented the off floor, and it came out level. So instead of measuring by pure measurements, she went by the existing already made shelves. We put them up, and they were way off. We turned them around backwards, but since it didn't have a back, it really didn't matter. And they were perfectly level again. We both looked at each other completely baffled, but we put them up against the uneven floors, and they worked out perfect, even though they were not perfect. And I love them. I love their imperfections, because had they been made perfect, placed on an imperfect floor, they would have looked off and they would have been unlevel. Our standard of perfect is going to vary in this imperfect world. Everyone interprets even the, the truth of the Bible differently sometimes, so we need to be able to give grace and allow God to do his work. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short. And by that simple statement, we can all know that we are not perfect. But God makes all things straight in his time. He works in our imperfect lives and makes us level. He puts us in the imperfect world with all of our imperfections and he allows us to walk upright and level anyway. I loved that my shelves worked out so great. I love that my friend made them for me. I cherish them. Are they perfect? Uh, almost. God loves us. He loves that he created us. He cherishes us. Are we perfect? Hmm. Far from it, right? And if someone comes into your life with a magnifying glass and wants to search you over, looking for all your flaws just to turn their nose up at you and judge you, just pray for them. They have way more problems they need to deal with. There comes a point where you have to do what God wants you to do and accept your struggles and mistakes, work harder to do better, but ignore those who come into your life just to scrutinize your every move. 
One day you will stand and be held accountable for every one of your actions. But it won't be before me. You will owe no explanation to your neighbor, to your pastor, to your coworker, to your parents, to your kids, or to the naysayer who carries that big old microscope to critique your every single move. You will stand before God and God alone. So if you want to please anyone, please him. I've said it before, and I'm going to keep saying it until the day I die. Read your Bible. Read it for yourself. Be sure you know what it says so you can do what it says. Seek out answers. Ask loving people who want what's best for you, who is looking to build you up, not tear you down. And know that if you're doing your best, if you're actively seeking God, striving to do his will, you don't need to meet anyone else's scrutinizing critiques of you. Pray for that person. Or even be as bold as to say, thank you for your assessment. I'll pray about that. (laughs) Take it to God. See if there's any truth in it at all. And then pray that your friend retires from their magnifying glass. Now, there's going to be people on the other side of the spectrum here too. People who will turn a blind eye to the dangerous things their loved ones do. And they will let others fall off the deep end for fear of telling them the truth and hurting their feelings. But you know what? If I saw a person about to jump off a bridge to their death... I'd do everything I possibly could to pull them to safety, even if it meant pulling their arm out of his joint or breaking a bone. When it comes to your loved ones making decisions that lead to death, like drugs, alcoholism, affairs, spiraling out of control, turning their backs on God, don't walk on by and say, huh, it's none of my business. If you love them, you will go to the Lord in prayer for them, and you will lovingly speak up, even if it hurts their feelings for a moment. On more occasions than I wish I had ever been, I have had to call upon authorities or professionals when someone was suicidal. It was embarrassing for them. It required that they step away from their position until they got help. I hated the pain that it caused them. But you know what? They're alive. That mom is alive with her kids today. That dad, he has his wife next to him for one more day. They didn't ask for the help They maybe don't see it even as help for a bit, but they're alive, and they have more time to work things out. I remember mulling over these times for a long time, crying, asking God, do I call, do I step in in a more extreme way? I knew it was going to cost me a friendship. I knew that most likely they were never going to speak to me again, may even be furious with me. But like I said, their children have a parent for one more day. It's tough to step in when you know it can be uncomfortable, when it can cause tension, it could be taken wrong. But there are situations where it is more unloving to stay silent than it is to speak up. I love you, friend. And if you choose to purchase shag carpet and a new puppy, yeah, I'm going to step in and remind you of the very bad decision that you're making. But I promise to do it lovingly. I promise to love you even if you choose another way. I may not come over and sit on your carpet with you but I will still choose to love you. Let's do the same for our friends and their sin. Let's love. Let's extend grace when we can and instead take things to the Lord. Let's jump head first when someone is in a life or death situation. But let's always, always, always do it in love. And let's please, please throw away those magnifying glasses. They are unbecoming of every person who clings to them. And let's remember, as 1 Peter 4.8 says, Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Ordinary Girl Stevie.